Bibles with you, will you please open them up? This is so important that we be a church that loves God's Word, lets God's Word settle over us and encourages us. And if you're using one of the Bibles that is in the pew, one of those blue Bibles, it's, I'm not sure what page it is, actually. I forgot to write it down. It's page something. But you can find it by going to the New Testament. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And so if you have your own Bible, open that up. Let's get into God's Word. Let's find what He says to us. And I'm going to put up on the screen a quote from a man called Richard Phillips. And I want this quote to sort of permeate the entire message. And he says this, A quality church will be one that leaves no strugglers to lag behind or perish in unbelief. Where the discouraged are propelled forward by encouragement. Where the weak find strength in the care of others. And those in danger of being deceived are recalled to the truth in a spirit of love. It was just recent that this hit the Twitterverse. A seminary in New York City thought it would be a really good idea to put together a collage of living plants and actually sit before them and confess their sins to the plants. True story. We need truth. We confess our sins to none other but Jesus Christ. And if you confess your sins to him, he is faithful. He is just to forgive your sins, not only to forgive you, but to wash you from all unrighteousness, cleanse you from that. We need theology. We need truth. And those who are in danger of being deceived, who's going to speak truth to them if it's not us? And I want to be this kind of church that Richard Phillips talks about. I want Cornerstone to be this. And I believe Cornerstone is being called to be this kind of church. I once had a flight delayed. It was about a year ago. It's on the way to a conference. And we, we sat on that plane that was on the tarmac for quite a while. And finally... We got ready to take off, and the pilot got on to the PA system and told us that there was a non-essential light on the console that was out, and they had called the mechanic to fix it before we took off. And I don't know about you, but I don't think there's any non-essential parts in an airplane, so I was glad that they called that mechanic, and I'm glad that we waited But I want you to take that analogy, now take it into this one. Imagine buying a car. It's a new car. And on the way home, you discover that neither the heater nor the AC systems work. Wouldn't you take it back to the dealer? Wouldn't you have them get everything working the way that it's supposed to? All right, we'll take those two analogies and put it into one that probably is familiar to a lot of them, to a lot of us. Have you ever cut your thumb and then suddenly realize just how often you use that thumb and how important it is to everyday life? Now, let's apply all three of those analogies to this statement. The church is a body that functions best When every Christian lives out their unique God-designed 
purpose. Now, I threw that at you quickly, so I'm going to slow it down just briefly, let you chew on it a little bit more, and let's read it again. Now, you think on this. The church is a body, it's organic, that functions best when every Christian lives out their unique God-designed purpose. Here we go, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to watch that statement unfold in this passage. Let's read it and let's get into it. We're going to start at verse 4. Let's hear what God has to say about that statement. First point, I'm going to have three of them. The first one is this. All spiritual gifts have one source. Every spiritual gift has the same exact source. There has been in the history of the church not a more divisive doctrine than spiritual gifts. I am sure of that. And certainly, that's true of this church at Corinth. Now, you're ready. We're in 1 Corinthians. That means this is a letter written to the church in the city of Corinth. It was a Greek-Roman church, more Roman than Greek, but they were quarreling over which gifts were the most important. Who had the most spiritually important gifts? Whose were more honorable? Whose were more coveted? And some of them felt that their gifts were really important, and then others felt like their gifts were really insignificant. And it was breeding pride and jealousy. And the consequence to the church was disruption, was division and disorder. This is what's happening in the church in the city of Corinth. And Paul writes him a letter and he keeps saying five times that now concerning this, meaning he's answering questions that they had for him. He's addressing problems that he knew were happening in their church. And he knows what's going on with the division. He knows what's going on over this topic of spiritual gifts. So he begins to address it in verse 4, we begin to read. There are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. That's the name for Jesus. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. So we've got the Father, we've got the Son, and we've got the Holy Spirit. If anybody's ever told you that the triune God is nowhere in Scripture, here's one of the places that we can see that God exists in one God, three persons. And he's designed that there would be in his people a variety of gifts. Look at it again in verse 4. Now, some of you might be already thinking, wow, I hope this sermon gets better. Because I'm not sure I'm going to make it. I mean, oh, wow, it's almost 7, 6.30. Oh, uh, this is going to get really rolling. So you've got to stay with me. This is one where you've got to do your part. And you've got to grab what I'm telling you and what the Word of God is showing us and apply it. There are varieties of gifts, and they're all determined by who? Look what it says, the Spirit of God. Christian, already this is speaking to you, encouragement. The Spirit of God has customized His gifts to you. And they're not your choice. They're not my choice. You did not, and I did not earn them. Nobody earns them. They are called gifts. 
You don't earn a gift. You earn a paycheck. You receive a gift. So there's no reason, Church at Corinth, no reason, Cornerstone, to feel pride over what gifts God has given to you. No one should feel more important than anybody else. No one should feel shame or disgrace with the gifts that they're given. The Spirit of God very deliberately, very intentionally, providentially gives you the gifts he wants. And similarly, there are varieties of services or service, meaning there are different offices of ministers in the church. There are some who are apostles, look at verse 28, some who are prophets, some who are teachers, etc. So there's lots of different positions that God has provided for the church. So not only did the Spirit provide gifts, but God also provides particular officials or offices of the church. And there are varieties of activities, many of which you're going to see in verses 8 through 10, from teaching to healing to discerning spiritual warfare. And none of them, listen, none of them function in a person's power or their will, but only in God's power and only in God's will. And Paul's point is that every spiritual gift, every position in the church, every activity that we ever do as, as Christians comes from God's will, comes under his authority, comes through his power. There's no room for pride. There's no room for jealousy, no reason for disorder or for disgrace. But they come through the power of God. In fact, I love what Jesus said in John 15, 5, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. So listen, you can have natural talents, and you can do a lot with your natural talents. And by the way, you all have natural talents. They're given to you genetically. They are nurtured through your families and through your culture and through your environment and through your experiences. But those natural talents cannot do what your spiritual gifts can do. And all of that comes through the power of God. And when you ab abide in Jesus, when you walk with him, and when your faith is in him and him alone, he can do all things through you, using your talents and certainly using your gifts. But we're moving on to point number two. All spiritual gifts have a grand purpose. And now is where the message is going to get very, very interesting. Look what it says in verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So what do we learn? Spiritual gifts are the Spirit-given, now you got to hear this, Christ-exampled and God-empowered way to increase the health of the body of a church. It's for the common good of the church. And for many, it is necessary, you, you really do need to distinguish between spiritual gifts and the gift of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. So I want to do that really briefly. The gift of the Spirit, now listen, I need you to hear this. The gift of the Spirit is what's given to you the very moment that you put your faith and your trust and your confidence in Jesus Christ. What God does in that moment. 
is he takes your old heart that could not believe and would not believe and that was at war with God, that rebellious heart, he takes it out of your life. And then he puts a brand new heart. It's a heart transplant. It's a new spiritual heart that's alive to God, that's able to know things that God's word says, that wants what God wants and hates what God hates. And that, that heart is put into you. And the spirit of God comes into that heart, not some metaphysical spirit that all of a sudden you feel a trickly thing in your, in your stomach. That's not really what it means. It means that God himself says, you cannot live this Christian life alone. You cannot do it in your own power. I know that. You're going to learn that. So I'm going to come and I'm going to live in you to give you the power to do all that I'm going to ask you to do. That's the gift of the Spirit. If you do not believe in God through Jesus Christ, if you've not submitted to him as your Savior and your Lord, you cannot have the gift of the Spirit. You can know about it. You can do kind of some really awesome things that look like you have the gift of the Spirit, but at the end of the day, you don't have that gift. It comes when you put your faith in Jesus. And when you do that and he comes and lives in you, he begins to cultivate and produce as if you are a fruit tree, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, and all the rest of them. And all of a sudden, these character qualities start coming into you more. And when somebody cuts you off on the road, whereas before you would do something that you wouldn't want to admit to your pastor, all of a sudden you don't do that anymore. And all of a sudden you begin to pray for that person. Not that they get in an accident, that they they are blessed by God and drive a little more carefully. That's the fruit of the Spirit, and that gets produced in increasing quantity in you as you walk with the Spirit. But there's a third one, and that is spiritual gifts. What, what are spiritual gifts? And that's really the question I want to answer you. The moment you're saved, the moment you put your faith in God, through Jesus, the moment you believe that because of the death and the burial and the resurrection that God will put Jesus or did put Jesus on the cross instead of putting you and I on that cross, that he died in our place. Thank you, God, for loving me enough that you did not judge me for my sins. You judged your son instead. That very moment you believe that and you confess your sins to God and you ask him to save you, that very moment he saves you and he puts in your life supernatural abilities called spiritual gifts. And they enable you, now here's the most important part of this first section, the first two sections. These spiritual gifts enable you to build the faith of those in your church. Now, I don't know if you've ever reflected that specifically on the purpose of spiritual gifts, but I'm telling you what they are, and I'm going to show it to you in Scripture. They have been given to you, Christian, by God, in order to help, help you to have a supernatural ability to build the strength of one another in the church or build the faith of one another in the church. That's what it means for the common good. And to understand that, I think it's probably pretty wise. Let's go to the very first place in all of the Bible 
that we see the phrase spiritual gift. It's in Romans chapter 1. And Paul writes there, For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Now let me clear this up, because this looks a little odd. Paul tells the church in Rome that he longs to be with them, and let me translate here, so that he could strengthen and build them up in their faith with his spiritual gift. He's not wanting to go there and to give them spiritual gifts. That's the job of the Spirit of God. He wants to use his spiritual gift to strengthen their faith. But there's not ever just an arrow on one end of the line because he goes on to say mutually. He wants to be mutually strengthened and encouraged by each other's faith. So he knows when he's there at that church at Rome, their gifts are going to encourage his faith. And he's going to grow stronger. He's going to be built up for the common good. And you see this again in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Now Paul with young Timothy. He's a young pastor. He had the gift of exhortation. And he said to that church in Thessalonians, we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you. Look what it says. In your faith. See, Paul or Timothy's been given the gift of preaching, the gift of exhortation. That's really what the gift of preaching does. It exhorts people, sometimes gently, sometimes with conviction, sometimes strongly. But he was sent, he was gifted by God, and Paul sent him to Thessalonica so that he could exhort and encourage their faith. That's what spiritual gifts always do. But I'm not sure you're convinced, so I'm going to ask you to flip forward in your Bibles to chapter 14, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. You've got to see this more. This is so important. Verse 3, chapter 14, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. So there's a building up. Look at verse 12. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestation of the Spirit, strive to excel in what? In building up the church. That's the purpose of spiritual gifts. Look at verse 26. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for what? For building up. That's the purpose of a spiritual gift. It's the supernatural ability given by the Spirit of God to build one another's faith. It's so that we can strengthen and establish somebody in their faith so that they don't lose hope, so that they don't doubt God and turn from him when life smacks them around, when trials come and difficulties are there. It takes people with spiritual gifts, supernatural abilities to keep their faith not only from perishing, but growing. And there's nobody, by the way, nobody, who possesses all the gifts of the Spirit. And the reason that's important is this, 
That means we have to live together in community. We have to use our gifts with one another because your gift is absolutely critically vital for building up this church, for building up the faith of the people here. And if you neglect that gift, you neglect helping the faith of the people in your church. So Christian, use them. Now let me take you back to natural talents. They're God-given. But their aim or ability is not to strengthen faith. And that's where they differ from spiritual gifts. And every Christian possesses at least one spiritual gift given to you by the Spirit of God for the grand purpose of building up the faith of the people in your church. See, the problem in Corinth was that spiritual gifts were causing disruption, division, and disorder. And they neglected the truth that no Christian is gifted the same way as anyone else. It is a customized, beautiful thing. Do you want to know what has been in all of my years in ministry and all the years that I have preached, the single most freeing sermon that I have ever preached in my life? For me, I'm going to tell you in all the hundreds and hundreds of sermons I've preached, what has been the most freeing sermon personally that I have ever given. It was in the Committed to Worship series years ago from Romans chapter 12, and it was there that I heard and I learned for the very first time, and I understood that every Christian is given what Romans 12, verse 3 says, a measure of faith. Now listen, picture a measuring cup. One cup, two cup. How many ounces? How many fluid ounces? Picture a, a measuring cup. And picture that cup being your gift or gifts that God has given to you through the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God filled it up to the exact level, probably not full. Somewhere on that measuring line, the Spirit of God filled that gift up, and he poured it into your life the moment you were saved. He's been teaching you to use it. He's been giving you the confidence in his ability to do the work of building up others' faith through the supernatural ability that he's given to you. But you have this gift, and it may be at this level, and somebody else might have that gift, and it may be at this level, or another person has it at this level. You've been customized by God. And you've been given everything you need to do everything he's going to ask you to do. If he was going to ask you to do something that required a greater degree of this gift, he'll give you the greater degree of the gift. That was freeing for me. I would come back from conferences and I would hear of all these youth groups. I was a youth pastor for 13 years and all these youth groups that were growing. And here's our youth group at one point that wasn't growing. And I thought maybe I'm not very gifted. And all of a sudden, the measure of faith convinced me if I needed more of that gift, God would have given it to me. I've got everything I need to do all he's going to ask me to do. And God gives his people different gifts in different measures. And that is the beauty of the body of Christ. Christian, I want you to know 
You have been given the precise amount of the spiritual gifts that the Spirit of God purposed for you. And you can use them, and they are supernatural abilities to strengthen the faith of the people in your church and out of your church in your life. They work in both spheres. But finally, point three, spiritual gifts are discovered how? I'm going to give you the most simple answer you could probably ever hear through serving. You know, people all the world over like assessment tools. They like personality tests. I'm sure a lot of you have taken probably more than one of them. You want to know something historically about assessment tools in 1115 BC there was actually an assessment tool for those considered for government in China and they were examined for their skills in what were called the six arts of music archery horsemanship writing arithmetic and both ceremonies of public and private life that was the assessment tool to see if you were fit or if you would be chosen to serve in government. Today, we've got the DISC assessment. We've got Meyer Briggs tool. We've got Strengths Finder. We've got Round Peg. We've got the Enneagram test. We've got color code assessments. We've got a lot more than that. And you know why they're so popular? Now, listen, this should resonate with you. People want to know how they're wired. Listen, if you don't want to know how you're wired, I would pray that God would put that holy desire in you. Don't you want to know how he has shaped you? For what purpose? Why are you alive? One of the most interesting books I've ever read was by Viktor Frankl, who survived a Nazi concentration camp as a Jew. And he came out of that, and he entered into psychology, and he developed this movement called logotherapy. Now, Frankel was not a believer. But logotherapy has a basic premise, and that is if you know why you are alive, you can endure almost any what. That's the power of purpose. Don't you think those parents whose children we just dedicated want to know, God, what is your plan for these children? Don't you want to know that if you don't know that yet? What is your plan, God, for me? I'm going to tell you one of the greatest ways you can discover that plan. I didn't say figure it out, because you can't. God must reveal it to you. And one of the greatest ways you can discover it is through understanding how has he gifted you spiritually. Because that will tell you what he wants you to do in his kingdom. There's a number of spiritual gifts tests you could take. They're interesting. Rick Warren's ministry developed probably my favorite called the shape tool where you try to find out your spiritual gifts, S, your heart passions, your abilities, your personality, your experiences. But I'm going to tell you what John Piper says, and I think this is really worth listening to. He says this, we must not get hung up on naming our gifts. The thing to get hung up on is this, are we doing what we can to strengthen the faith of the people around us? 
Now, I'm going to take that a little bit further. I'm going to teach you something. I suspect that you've noticed, and if you haven't, this is revelatory. This is sort of illuminating for you. The Bible nowhere provides an assessment tool to discern your spiritual gifts, nor does it anywhere explain in great detail what they look like in action. Why? I mean, if it's so important to realize that you've got a supernatural ability given to you by the Spirit of God for the purpose of the common good to build each other up in faith, why doesn't God put somewhere in the Bible a list, a final list of all the gifts and how to find them and what they look like? The best way that I believe you can learn what spiritual gifts God has given you is to simply serve others in the church with the aim of building up people in their faith. Now, I totally realize, I get this, some of you that's anticlimactic. You're hoping to walk out of here with some sort of mystical, secret knowledge. Oh, this is how I'm gifted. I'm going to tell you they're best discerned in motion. They should be a verb in your life. You've got to put them into action. We're coming into the holiday season. Depression is going to peak. This is the greatest numerical, statistical time for suicide. And if you have the gift of mercy, then your heart breaks for the suffering of others. And you are supernaturally given the compassion to meet them where they are, regardless of the cost to yourself. That's what the gift of mercy looks like. If God has given you the gift of hospitality, you will have the supernatural desire to open your home or lend out your car to help people to feel loved and cared for and to have their needs met. That's what it looks like to have the gift of hospitality. If God's given you the gift of faith, you will inordinately, extraordinarily be able to trust God with your money and extravagant generosity even when it goes against all financial advice. That's what the gift of faith can look like. If you have the gift of discernment, you will know that sitting in front of plants and confessing your sins might not be the best idea. And you will have the God-given ability to see what is not of God even when everybody around you seems to think it is. The gift of wisdom is needed when people are confused as a crossroads of life. Somebody needs to come and be able to say, listen, there's a lot of fog in your life right now. And what are you praying for? If you're praying for knowledge, then you're asking God for particular information so that you can make the best decision. If you're praying for wisdom, then what you're really praying for is that God will help your faith be seen in action. And the people around you see a trusting child of God. That's what the wisdom does. We need people with a gift of wisdom that can help people navigate those confusing crossroads of life. The gift of mercy, again, it comes alongside grieving friends and those broken by sin, and it walks them back to hope and trust. If God's given you the gift of evangelism, you're going to have the supernatural courage and the ability to know how to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, with those who do not yet believe it. You know, something interesting is this. Jesus possessed them all. 
to the fullest measure. But we each possess what the Spirit of God chose to give us in the measure he gave us in, and we together serve God. And as we serve God and we put them into use, we've got the supernatural power and the ability to build up one another's faith. I love what Paul wrote in Romans 12, for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ. How? According to the measure of grace, that measure of faith given to us. So let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who lends with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. In other words, Paul's saying this, if you really want to discover the gifts that the Spirit of God has given you, then get serving. Put them into action and you'll find out pretty quickly where you're gifted and where you're not. But I want to close with one final encouragement. It's from Peter now, not the Apostle Paul. It's the Apostle Peter, chapter 4, verse 10. And he writes this, and I love this. As each one has received a gift, use it to what? Are you getting this? This is the purpose of the gift that the Spirit of God has given to you. It is to serve one another. Why? For to build up the faith of one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The Spirit has given every Christian spiritual gifts. They're called grace gifts. That's really what they're called. And he expects a return on his investment. Now, this is where it might be a little convicting. Now, let me ask you privately, just me and you, because you're not answering. You're not putting your hand up. This is just honesty. If you're a Christian, God's given you a gift or more gift or more than one. Are you using them? Because what God has given to us, he expects a return on them. He expects them to yield something. And the return is his glory. As those that we serve will see Jesus in us and they will praise and they will thank God. Thank you for sending that person, God, into my life. They are what I needed to get through this trial. They are what I needed because I was losing my faith. I didn't have hope anymore. And you sent these people to me. God, you're amazing. And you get all the glory and all the credit because you're the one that gave all the spiritual gifts in the exact measure in which you gave them. God has generously given out a variety of spiritual gifts to his people. And these gifts have the grand purpose of helping the faith of one another to build up the church. And you will discover them as you begin serving. And God will gain all the glory.
Amen.